Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be continuing going through Ephesians, looking at some rather challenging verses this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. So let's give our attention again to the reading of God's holy and inspired and authoritative word. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Most gracious Father, as we come once again to your word, I ask that you would add your blessing by your spirit to this reading of your word. Strengthen me by your spirit that I may speak in his power, that your word may give life to all who hear and may strengthen us to live as faithful citizens of your kingdom, as your children of light. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In Matthew 15, Jesus answers the Pharisees and scribes. Uh, Some of them had come to challenge him on a point of Jewish law that his, uh, or Jewish tradition that his followers, the disciples, weren't keeping, this point of washing their hands. They say, the, uh, they say to Jesus, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And first, Jesus gives an explanation of their hypocrisy, showing that actually what's going on here is you fail to keep my law in favor of keeping your traditions, the traditions of man. And then he gives this explanation about what it is that actually defiles a person. Beginning in Matthew 15, verse 10, he says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into your mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. 
but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So what is this story that Jesus tells in Matthew 15 and in other other Gospels? What does this have to do with what we just read in Paul? Well, Paul is in this section largely dealing with the very same idea, the idea that the speech of Christians has something to do with the reality of our heart. And so he's commanding us to to not speak in one way and, and in fact to speak in the other way. He calls the Ephesians and us, all Christians, to walk as children of light. Light and darkness are are used metaphorically throughout the Bible to contrast, to, to put it simply, righteousness and sin as ways of living as controlling principles in our life. And the the light and darkness is is often said to be, if if we're living in the light or living in the darkness, said to be predictive of our eternal state. And there's some very bold statements, even in the passage that we're looking at this morning. And so we're repeatedly encouraged to, to walk in the light, live in the light, be in the light, believe in the light, both in the Old and New Testaments, which really shouldn't surprise us because there is, in fact, only one people of God and one way of salvation. So we read in Isaiah chapter 2, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And we read in 1 John 1 that we read earlier, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this is what Paul's doing in this section. He's not setting up a legalism by which he expects us to live, but he's calling us to the same life of glorifying God as the redeemed people of God to which the Old Testament prophets and Jesus before him called the people of God who have been redeemed. He's calling us to live a life of holiness, a life of walking in the light of the gospel rather than the darkness of this world. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to look at four different things this morning. We're going to look at the law of walking and talking as children of light because there is a a law principle, and this is where the, the harshness of this verse comes in. We're going to look at the gospel behind walking and talking as children of the light, the way of walking and talking as children of light, and the reality of walking and talking as children of light. So first then, the law of walking and talking as children of light. If you look at verse 5, we read this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then the second half of of the next verse, of verse 6, he says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul is is making an incredibly bold statement here. He first says, don't don't speak this way. And then he moves from, from our speech to, because anyone who is these things, who is sexually immoral, why does he do that? Well, it's the principle that's at work that we saw in Matthew 15. Out of the heart, a man speaks. And this is what defiles him. But the conclusion Paul draws from this is challenging. Those who are these things, shown that they are these things by speaking this way, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Rather, this will result in God's wrath coming upon them 
as sons of disobedience. This is the law of walking and talking as children of light, that that this is what is required of us. This is what holiness looks like. Being controlled in our speech, being prudent in our speech, being appropriate in our speech, speaking that which says true things about who God is, which builds one another up in love. This is what we are called to. This is the standard. And our failure to meet that standard says something about us. And what it says about us is that we are those who deserve the wrath and curse of God. Because we're sinners. But this isn't all that Paul says here, is it? There's a whole lot of other verses wrapped around chapter 5, verse 5, and and the last half of verse 6. And so we we move on and, and talk about the gospel behind walking and talking as children of light. Because what we see as we read this passage is Paul isn't just looking at people saying, go be good, go speak appropriately, go have a clean heart. That's not what he's saying. Rather, as we see in verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. See, what Paul is calling us to as walking and talking as children of light has the gospel behind it. It's not the way to the gospel. It's the way from the gospel or the way in the gospel. That's what he's calling us to. This this thing that that he's doing is, is he's assuming the reality of a redemption that has redefined who we are. He's saying, you were darkness. That is where your heart was. Your heart was full of sexual morality and covetousness and idolatry and filthy talk and and thoughts and actions. That's where you were in darkness. But now you are children of light. Why? Because of what Christ has done in us. See, this statement here, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, is the very same point that we've seen throughout Ephesians where he makes these same kind of were and are contrasts. In chapter 2, at the beginning, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy, and then he goes on to define us as now being freed from that, now being alive in Christ. Later in the same chapter, he says, remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. But now, you are fellow citizens with the saints. Again, because of what Christ has done. He's making the same contrast here. Because of what Christ has done, we have been re-identified. We have been rightly identified with Jesus. No longer are we bound up in darkness. No longer is that the controlling principle of our life. No longer is that our identity, children of darkness. Now, in Christ, because of what he has done for us, we are rightly considered and should rightly think of ourselves as children of light. This is the gospel that is behind Paul's call to walk and talk as children of light. Paul knows that the gospel is true 
And therefore, that is also necessarily transformative. He knows that, that there really was a man who really was the Son of God incarnate, who had taken on flesh and who really fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf and who actually, in real history, went to the cross and died in our place and then rose again and has ascended and is coming back. He knows that, that this Jesus really has established the kingdom of God in history. These are all true statements. Objectively true statements. And because of that, he knows that there's real power to transform in the gospel. See, if the gospel was just a philosophical idea or, or, or just a, a theological postulate, then, then we would have no reason to think that there was any real transformative power in it. But in fact, it's not just that. It's not just another way of looking at life. It's the story of what God himself did in history for his people to free us from the bondage of sin and death to free us from the condemnation of his law. And so at the end of this verse, Paul says, therefore, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. He understands that the gospel is necessarily transformative. That when we come to Christ, we're filled with his light. That, that streams of living water make us new and even flow from us as his people. We're new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. We've been crucified with Christ and, and it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. All of these statements speaking to the reality of the transformative power of the gospel. Yes, to free us from sin in an eschatological judgment salvation way, but also, yes, to free us from sin in a how we live in the present way. The gospel doesn't just transform. It doesn't just transform our future. It doesn't just transform the end of the story for each of us, but actually how we live now in light of it. It's only with this working assumption about the Ephesians and their relationship to Christ through the gospel that Paul then issues the command at the end of verse 8, walk as children of light. For at once... You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see how the, the indicative, the statement about who we are comes before the imperative. Always. So yes, there's a law that we can look at of walking and talking as children of light, that this is what we're called to, and, and our failure to do this condemns us. But there's also a gospel behind this imperative. A gospel that tells us we've been transformed into children of light. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who Christ is. It's only with these gospel matters sorted out in our own lives that we can do anything with this command other than hear it as a word of condemnation. If we hear, walk as children of the light, 
without the gospel that's behind it. It is only law, and it does only condemn. But when we hear it with the gospel behind it, finding ourselves united to Christ by faith, finding ourselves grounded in that truth, having his light shown into us, being made into children of light, we hear it as how we are to live as faithful citizens of his kingdom, how we are to live as children of light how we are to live lives that honor him because we belong to him. And that's what Paul calls us to. So so what is this way of walking as children of light? When we put all of these different verses together, there's five different statements that we can make. First, walking and talking as children of light puts limits on the content and manner of our speech. It's not just anything goes. It's not that I'm free in Christ and so I can say and speak however I want. Paul tells the Galatians in this book that is given to the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, utterly apart from our works, he still tells them, you're free, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Walking as children of light puts limits on the content and manner of our speech. We see in verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetous must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. There's two ways this could be taken. It could be taken as named among you could mean that like it, it's going on and people can point it out and that that's not appropriate. And certainly that is true. But the rest of the context of this passage really has to do with the reality of how we speak. And so probably what Paul is doing here is saying, this isn't the content and manner of our speech. We we shouldn't entertain such conversations. It's not that we don't delve into the reality of sexuality and, and all of these kinds of things. It's all through the Bible, and there's an appropriate way to do that. But sexually immoral and impure and covetous thought and speech should find no place in the people of God. Verse 4a, he says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. There's, there's, in each of these, there's, there's a, a reality of idleness in your language. Remember, we're to, to speak things that build one another up in love. We're not just to, to speak idle, crude, foolish words to one another. In verse 12, he says it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. See, all of this has incredibly far-reaching implications, doesn't it? But because all of a sudden, it's, it's not even appropriate for us to be speaking of and, and, and gossiping about and, and kind of entertaining ourselves with the stories of, uh, of the insanity that this world entertains itself with. Walking and talking as children of light puts limits on the content and manner of our speech. Walking and talking as children of light also, though, gives direction to the content and manner of our speech. We read the first part of verse 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place. And then the second half says this, Instead, let there be thanksgiving. An appropriate passage as we get ready to celebrate our 
Thanksgiving festival or our Thanksgiving potluck tonight and, and have this grand meal. And as we go into this season where, where we give thanks for all the many blessings that God has given us and, and, and we have the blessing of, as a nation of, of most of us getting to stop for a little bit and just focus on the blessings that God has poured out on us and give thanks. But Paul's reminding us this should be the regular pattern of our speech. Thankfulness to God for what he has done for us. Thankfulness to him for for redeeming us. Thankfulness to him for giving his spirit to be our helper and our guide. Thankfulness to him for his provision, for his holiness, for for his presence in our lives, for the people that he has put around us to, to encourage and sharpen us as iron sharpens iron. That's how we're to speak. It's really just that God is to be the content of our speech. That's what's happening here. Rather than giving ourselves to the darkness of this world, we're to give our speech and our conduct and our hearts to who God is and what he's done for us and who we are in him. Let there be thanksgiving. Rather than rejoicing in the darkness, let us rejoice in the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus and put off the darkness Walking and talking as children of light gives direction to the content and manner of our speech. Walking and talking as children of light also calls for discernment in engaging with other speech. Verse 6, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Verse 11, nope, that's the next point. Let no one deceive you with empty words. We are deceived very easily by the false promises of darkness. Their empty words promise the world. They promise life. They promise security. They promise identity. They promise hope. They promise riches. They promise peace. They they promise knowing yourself. They, they, They promise all of this. But it's all empty. But we're quite easily deceived by it, aren't we? We, we hear these words and we're like, yes, that makes good sense. That adds up. I'll pursue that rather than Christ. Secondly, we're deceived by the redefinition of truth. This is part of, of being deceived with empty words. Is the world comes along and it's not just promising things that it can't deliver. Darkness doesn't just promise that. It also redefines things. Think, think about a time when you've been in a dark room and, and perhaps you're just not as scared of, of the dark as I am, but, but you look across and you see something on the other side of the room that you're almost certain is something that's going to destroy you. And so you go turn the lights on and it's not at all. It's something that has been there every day, your entire time of living in that house and being in that room. But in the darkness, you convinced yourself that that coat rack or that chair or or that whatever it is was something harmful. This is how the darkness works. It redefines the truth and so deceives us. It redefines the truth of sexuality. It redefines the truth of justice. And sometimes it does it in very sneaky ways, even through the church. It redefines 
what God has defined as right and wrong. And it's sneaky. And we're easily taken captive by it. So easily, in fact, that it's completely predictable how we as Christians will respond if we can just cast messages in certain ways. It doesn't even have to be biblically true. If we can just attach the Bible to it somehow, we'll buy it without thinking about it. So see, the problem isn't just, oh, people are trying to say homosexuality is right when the Bible says it's wrong. That is a problem. That is the deception of the darkness, but that's not where it stops. It actually gets much subtler than that. So that we can find ourselves in a position where someone whose talk is only locker room talk and is repeatedly the kind of sexually immoral and impure and covetousness talk that we're told to stay away from and be convinced that he is the Christian choice because he's right on a couple of other issues. That's the deception that we fall into. Or we can work it the other way. We can, we can see someone who's, who's willing to sign off on, on the slaughtering of millions of babies but convince ourselves that he's the Christian option because he's loving to people in need. That's the deception that Paul's warning us against. Don't be deceived by the empty words. Don't be deceived by the darkness. We're deceived by the false promises. We're deceived by the redefinitions of what is true. Fourth, walking and talking as children of light puts limits on the content and manner of our life. In verse 7, Paul says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. We know from other passages that Paul isn't saying, you know, have absolutely nothing to do with the world because he has this idea that we're going to be in the world preaching the gospel and that people are going to be saved. At the same time, though, this is the principle of in the world but not of the world that we always try so hard to balance. And and this has far-reaching implications just like our speech does, doesn't it? Don't become partners with them. Don't partner with them in the darkness. Don't partner with them in their deception. Don't partner with them in their crude talking. Don't partner with them in their ungodly behavior. Don't partner with them in their ungodly thought processes. Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but who meditates on God's law. Rather than partaking in the darkness, we're to partake in the Word of God. Rather than partnering with them, we're to partner with God's Word 
to understand how life works, to understand how we are to live as followers of Christ. We're not even to take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. I get it. There's conscience at at work here. There, There were people that thought statements like this meant don't eat food sacrificed to idols at all. But then Paul comes along and says, look, idols are nothing. Eat it. Just don't flaunt it. No big deal. There were people who thought you you shouldn't have any any beverages that were poured out to idols. But Paul comes along and says, no, that's not the issue. Those idols are dead, but don't offend somebody with it. And so we can't just come up with some hard and fast rule of this is what it means to to take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. We do actually have to listen to our conscience on this. But we, we should be careful. We should be careful that it is our conscience led by the Spirit, shaped by the Word of God that we're listening to. Walking and talking as children of light gives direction to the content and manner of our life, of our actions. Verse 9, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In the book of Philippians, Paul tells us to set our minds on these very things. Whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is upright. Set your mind on that. See, this this gives direction to, to how we live. What is it that we set our minds on? What is it that we pursue in this life? What is it that we that we long for? from this life and in this life and for our families and for ourselves and for our children. Is is it that which is good and right and true? Is is it a life that is defined according to why we're created for God's glory and our enjoyment of him? Is it a life that is utterly defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ and shaped by that which is true? Verse 11b, he calls us to expose the works of darkness. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We're quick to do this, not always in a helpful way, usually in the reverse order that we should do it. How is it that we expose works of darkness? How, well, where do we start? Well, we start with ourselves. We remove the plank from our own eye before we worry about the speck in somebody else's eye. We don't go putting people on trial without considering ourselves. Are we willing to expose sin in ourself that we might repent of it? Are we as eager to do that as we are to expose sin in others? That's where it starts. But then for Christians, there is, as we see in Matthew 18, as we see in other places in the Bible, there is a place for us to say hard things and expose works of darkness in each other's lives because sometimes even when we're trying we're deceived and we're blind to our own behaviors our own words our own patterns 
And we need somebody to come along and speak the truth in love and say to us, what you're doing is sinful. What you're doing is a work of darkness and we need that and we need to learn to receive such words as wounds of grace from our Father and from our brothers and sisters in Christ. The kind of wound that is made to remove cancer. That's what this exposing is. We also need to to think about what does it mean to have such works of darkness exposed in the church corporately? Are there things institutionally, and I know that that, that people get a little bit bothered by some of this language, but that's fine. It's in the Bible. Are there things where, where we corporately are sinning or have sinned that we need to repent of? Are there patterns of of life in the church that need to be fixed and brought back into line with the principles of holiness and God's word? Those should be exposed. And yes, works of darkness in the lives of unbelievers should be exposed. But again, there's a better way than what we usually do. In individual believers, this happens in relationships of love that you've walked with someone and you can speak to them not about just, oh, here's the sin in the world and you're part of the world, so you're horrible, but about the particular issues that that they've been willing to show you in their life so that you can give them a reason for hope of redemption. We do that in the context of of loving relationships and impromptu opportunities that the Spirit gives us with people. But we do need to expose so that we can talk about the gospel that's behind all of this. And yes, there's a place to speak to the works of darkness in the world generally, to, to, to sound the alarm, to, to remind the church, don't follow that direction. Don't walk in that way. Finally, the reality of walking and talking as children of light. This meets with many objections from our flesh, doesn't it? But here's what we must remember. When we are objecting to calls for holiness, as we find in this passage and so many others like it, we must honestly assess, are we rightly objecting to a pietistic legalism or are we simply unwilling to see our flesh put to death by the Spirit? Oh, we're good at confusing those. We're good at seeing our flesh challenged and raising the flag of justification by grace alone through faith alone, of calling out legalism and, and, and false pietism and, and hip, hip, you know, hypocritism, whatever that word is. We're, we're good at that. We're good at that. Hypocrisy is the word. I saw my wife whisper it to my daughter. I didn't come up with it. We're good at that. And what we need is to put our flesh to death. 
We frequently object to holiness on the grounds of legalism when, is what, when what is really happening is we're refusing to put off the old man. How do we know which it is? If we're objecting to biblical calls to holiness as the way of the Christian life, not the way into the Christian life, the way of the Christian life, If we're objecting to biblical calls for holiness as the way of the Christian life, it is not the spirit that is at work. It is our flesh. Every time. Every time. Because the spirit is not going to lead us into a life of holiness that is different than the holiness of God laid out in Scripture. So if we're objecting to biblical calls to holiness as the way of the Christian life, it is our flesh that's at work, not the spirit. And we should repent. The reality of walking and talking as children of light can sound unbelievably scary because it involves the exposure of our works of darkness. And no one is signing up for that. I get it. We hear this and we're like, oh, are we about to start exposing stuff? Because, uh, yeah, I've got an early lunch today. I need to go. We want nothing to do with sin being exposed. But we don't have to live in fear of that for two reasons. First of all, as we read in this passage in verse 13 and 14, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Here's what Paul is saying. When sin becomes visible, when it's brought out into the light, what we're being given is not judgment, but an opportunity to repent and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. To be restored. See, the the deceptiveness of the world, the deceptiveness of our flesh leads in just the opposite direction. It's like, no, 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 no. If that gets exposed, if it gets real, if you're honest about your sin, you get cut off. You're only here because they don't know. That's not the biblical vision of the church at all. And thankfully, I can say to this congregation, that's not how y'all have lived with one another. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Because when all of our junk gets exposed and gets brought into the light, that's not an invitation for condemnation from other believers or from Christ but an invitation for repentance and restoration and healing and resting in grace so we don't have to fear it. The other reason we don't have to fear it is the passage we read earlier. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is helpful to be reminded of because we hear this and we go, but wait a minute. It's not necessarily that I want to, but I know myself well enough to know I'm going to fail. I'm not going to get it all right. 
I'm going to say things I shouldn't, and they're going to reveal something about my heart that I wish they wouldn't. And that's where we hear John's words once again. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's why we don't have to fear the exposure. Because the sin has been dealt with. That's why we don't hear these words as words of condemnation. Because there's a gospel behind this imperative to walk and talk as children of light. That's why we hear this only as words leading us to walk in the way of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this passage that challenges us so deeply. We thank you for the exposure that comes by your spirit when he convicts us of our sin and for the comfort that he also brings when he bears witness to us that we are children of God. And so by his work, would you help us, Father, to put off our flesh and to walk and talk as children of light, as you have made us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.